Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Wednesday, April 26th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I would definitely encourage you to do so. A lot of great listening over there. Definitely worth your while. Excuse me. I also want to continue to point you at the final link in our show notes. It is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide an alternative of trustworthy or alternative within our community. So go ahead and click on the link. You'll find a much more thorough description than I've just given you. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we would ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump right into it. We're going to be doing our Bible study in the more or our Bible reading in the morning segment, and then we'll continue our Bible study in John 8 in the evening segment. So let's go ahead and open up. We're going to open up like we usually do on Wednesday mornings with the fourth day morning prayer. It's called True Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy Son, thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the Spirit, that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right. And our morning devotion this morning for Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for April 26th. Uh, the text comes from, uh, sorry, it's kind of late at night here, so <laughs> uh, a little tired. So the text comes from first Corinthians eleven twenty four. this do in remembrance of me. It seems then that Christians may forget Christ. There could be no need for this loving exhortation if there were not a fearful supposition that our memories might prove treacherous, nor is this a bared supposition. It is alas too well confirmed in our experience, not as a possibility, but as a lamentable fact. 
It appears almost impossible that those who have been redeemed by the blood of the dying Lamb and loved with an everlasting love by the eternal Son of God should forget that gracious Savior. But, if startling to the ear, it is, alas, too apparent to the eye to allow us to deny the crime. Forget him who never forget us. Forget him who poured his blood forth his blood forth for our sins. Forget him who loved us even to the death. Can it be possible? Yes, it is not only possible, but but conscientious I'm sorry, but conscience confesses that it is too sadly a fault with all of us, that we suffer him to be a, a be as a wayfaring man, tarrying but for a night. He whom we should make the abiding tenant of our memories is but a visitor therein. The cross where one would think that memory would linger, and unmindfulness sorry, and unmindfulness would be an unknown intruder, is desecrated by the feet of forgetfulness. Does not your conscience say that this is true? Do you not find yourself forgetful of Jesus? Some creature steals away your heart, and you are unmindful of him upon whom your affection ought to be set. Some earthly business engrosses your attention when you should fix your eyes steadily upon the cross. It is the incessant turmoil of the world, the constant attraction of earthly things, which takes away the soul from Christ. While memory too well preserves a poisonous weed, it suffereth the rose of Sharon to wither. Let us charge ourselves to bind a heaven a heavenly forget-me-not about our hearts for Jesus our beloved, and whatever else we let slip, let us hold fast to him. All right. Oh, sorry. Sorry for all the yawning. I, uh, like I said, I'm obviously I'm recording it the night before, and uh, it's a little late at night, and it's been a long day. So hang on a minute. I need some water. All right, we're going to go ahead with our reading for the today for this morning segment. Uh, we're going to be doing Judges 6, Luke 22, verse 54, through the end of the chapter, and then the first 12 verses of Luke 23. We're going to be reading Psalm 95 and 96, and then Proverbs 14, verses 5 and 6. All right, so Judges 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the eyes of Yahweh, and Yahweh gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. And the power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. And it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would go up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go up against them. So they would camp against them and ruin the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would go up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable and they came into the land to make it a ruin. So Israel sorry. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the sons of Israel cried out to Yahweh. Now it happened when the sons of Israel cried out to Yahweh on account of Midian, that Yahweh sent a prophet to the sons of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am Yahweh your God. You shall not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to my voice. 
Then the angel of Yahweh came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abirzite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to preserve it from the Midianites. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him and said to him, Yahweh is with you, O mighty man of valor. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if Yahweh is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wondrous deeds, which our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not Yahweh bring us up from Egypt? But now Yahweh has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Then Yahweh turned to him and said, Go in, go in this strength of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? But he said to him, O Lord, with what shall I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But Yahweh said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall strike down Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then do a sign for me that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you, and I will bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of Yahweh put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of Yahweh went away from before his eyes. And Gideon saw that he was the angel of Yahweh, so he said, Alas, O Lord Yahweh, for now I have seen the angel of Yahweh face to face. And Yahweh said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to Yahweh and named it Yahweh. Sorry, named it Yahweh as peace. To this day it is still in Ophrah of the Abizrites. Now it happened on the same night that Yahweh said to him, Take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to Yahweh your God on the top of this stronghold, in an orderly manner, and take the second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants, and did as Yahweh had spoken to him. <sighs> And now it happened that because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. Then the men of the city arose early in the morning, and behold, the altar of Baal was torn down, and the Asherah which was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar which had been built. And they said to one another, Who did this thing? And when they searched about and inquired, they said, Gideon the son of Joash did this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, for he has torn down the altar of Baal, and indeed he has cut down the Asherah which was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever will contend for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because someone has torn down his altar. Therefore on that day he named him Jerubal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he had torn down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east assembled themselves, and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of Yahweh clothed Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and the Beazrites 
and the Abiezrites were called together to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, and they also were called together to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have spoken. And it was so. Indeed, he arose early the next morning, and squeezed the fleece, and he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me, that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry, only on the fleece, and let there be dew on all the ground. And God did so that night. So it was dry only on the fleece, but dew was on all the ground. All right. And now Luke 22, verses 54 through the end of the chapter. Now having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man was with him too, for he also is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and cried bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him while they beat him, and they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. And as the day came, the council of elders of the people assembled both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their Sanhedrin, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You yourselves say that I am. Then they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. All right, Luke 23, verses 1 through 12. Then their whole assembly rose up and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, You yourself say it. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee even as far as this place. Now when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem in those days. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he rejoiced greatly, for he had wanted to see him for a long time, because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there vehemently accusing him. 
and Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a bright robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. All right, Psalm 95. O come, let us sing for joy to Yahweh. Let us make a loud shout to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a loud shout to him with songs of praise. For Yahweh is a great God, and a great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before Yahweh our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tried me. They tested me, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation, and said they are a people who wander in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, they shall never enter into my rest. Psalm 96 Sing to Yahweh a new song. Sing to Yahweh all the earth. Sing to Yahweh, bless his name. Proclaim good news of his salvation from day to day. Recount his glory among the nations, his wondrous deeds among all the peoples. For great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised. He is more fearsome than all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But Yahweh made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to Yahweh, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. Lift up an offering and come into his courts. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, Yahweh reigns. Indeed, the world is established. It will not be shaken. He will render justice to the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar as well as its fullness. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Before Yahweh, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. All right, and finally... Uh, Proverbs 14, verses 5 and 6. A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Uh, I thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you, implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close out this morning with prayer. Uh, we're going to go ahead and use um, use morning needs, a prayer called Morning Needs from Valley of Vision. Let's pray. O God, the author of all good, I come to thee for the grace another day will require for its duties and events. I step out into a wicked world. I carry about with me an evil heart. I know that without thee I can do nothing that everything with which I shall be concerned, however harmless in itself, may pr prove an occasion of sin or folly, unless I am kept by thy power. Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe. Preserve me my understanding from, su from, sorry, from, from subtlety of error. Sub 
sub, yeah, subtlety of error, my affections from love of idols, my character from stain of vice, my profession from every, every form of evil. May I engage in nothing in which I cannot impl- implore thy blessing, and in which I cannot invite thy inspection. Prosper me in all lawful undertakings, or prepare, or prepare me for disappointment. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or be, or be, or be poor and steal and take thy name in vain. Make every creature be made good to me by prayer and thy will. Teach me how to use the world and not abuse it, to improve my talents, to redeem my time, to walk in wisdom towards those without and in kindness to those within, to do good to all men, and especially to my fellow Christians, and to thee be the, be the glory. Amen. All right, well, again, thank you for spending this time with me. Again, I hope you have a wonderful day, and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Wednesday, April 26th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Christian podcast, or um, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. It's definitely worth your while. A lot of great listening over there. All right. Well, we're going to do, continue on in our Bible study in John chapter 8. We're going to finish up our story here with the... Uh, Pharisees and the scribes bringing the adulterous woman to Jesus. We'll be finishing that up today, and then we'll be moving on tomorrow, God willing. So let's go ahead and open up in prayer. We're going to open up with a prayer called Christ Alone. Let's pray. O God, thy main plan and the end of thy will is to make Christ glorious and beloved in heaven, where he is now ascended, where one day all the elect will behold his glory and love and glorify him forever. Though here I love him but little, May this be my portion at last. In this world thou hast given me a beginning. One day it will be perfected in the realm above. Thou hast helped me to see and know Christ, though obscurely, to take him, receive him, to possess him, love him, to bless him in my heart, mouth, life. Let me study and stand for discipline and all the ways of worship, out of love for Christ and to show my thankfulness, to seek and know his will from love, to hold it in love and daily to care for and keep this state of heart. Thou hast led me to place all my nature and happiness in oneness with Christ, and having heart and mind centered only on him, and being like him and communicating good to others. This is my heaven on earth, but I need the force, energy, impulses of thy spirit to carry me on the way to my Jerusalem. Here it is my duty, wow, sorry. Here it is my duty to be as Christ in this world, to do what he would do, to live as he would live, to walk in love and meekness. Then would he be known. Then would I have peace in death. All right. And now our evening devotion. The text for it is from Revelation 16, 15. Blessed is he that watcheth. We die daily, said the apostle. This was the life of the early Christians. They went everywhere with their lives in their hands. 
We are not in this day called to pass through the same fearful persecutions. If we were, the Lord would give us grace to bear the test. But the tests of Christian life at the present moment, though outwardly not so terrible, are yet more likely to overcome us than even those of the fiery age. We have to bear the sneer of the world. That is little, its blandishments, its soft words, its oily speeches, its fawning, its hypocrisy are far worse. Our danger is lest our danger is lest we grow rich and become proud, lest we give ourselves up to the fashions of this present evil world and lose our faith, or if wealth be not the trial, worldly care is quite as mischievous. If we cannot be torn in pieces by this by the roaring lion, if we may be hugged to death by the bear, the devil little cares which it is, so long as he destroys our love to Christ and our confidence in him. I fear me that the Christian church is far more likely to lose her integrity in these soft and silken days than in those rougher times. We must be awake now, for we traverse the enchanted ground and are most likely to fall asleep to our own undoing unless our faith in Jesus be a reality and our love to Jesus a vehement flame. Many in these days of easy profession are likely to prove tares and not wheat. Hypocrites with fair masks on their faces, but not the true-born children of the living God. Christian, do not think that these are times in which you can dispense with watchfulness or with holy ardor. You need these things more than ever, and may God the Eternal Spirit display His omnipotence in you, that you may be able to say in all these softer things, as well as in the rougher, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. All right, well, we're going to be continuing on in our Bible study in John chapter 8. Um, so, you know, like like I said, this is, this is following on from chapter 7, at least in the book. But again, we really don't know truly chronologically where it fits, or even if it really fits in the Gospel of John, maybe it fits in one of the other Gospels. And we've talked through um, a few nights ago, we talked through all, all the possible reasons why it might not belong there here or there or whatever and why like in in a number of the translations i have these verses um john 7 verse 53 through john 8 verse 11 are bracketed because they weren't in the earliest manuscripts that we have access to so but that being said it's included and I, a number of commentators have voiced the fact that it's included because it it fits very well with all of the gospels it it talks speaks of the same Jesus shows him truly as he is um, and is a good good story for us to get and I pointed out before so in this story it's really easy to get caught up in the adulterous woman or the Pharisees and and there's stuff to see there but the crux of this is Christ and how Christ handles this um, that's why like, and like I've mentioned before, um, I tend to, my, my headings and my titles and stuff, uh, for, at least for this Bible study, I'm using, I'm using the ones right out of MacArthur's, um, New Testament commentary. Um, I just, it makes it easier for me. So this is a section that, that MacArthur calls Jesus confronts hypocrisy and he does. And that hypocrisy is major, but we want to focus on Jesus. And so over the last couple of nights, we've seen his humility and the way that he handles things, how he's just very, very humble as he heads into the temple and goes to preach or goes to teach and sits down like the rabbis, sits down and instructs like he should. And then we saw his wisdom as these, 
seemingly crass, and excuse me, I need some water. The seemingly crass and um, abrupt scribes and Pharisees barge into the middle of the teaching he's doing and stands this adulterous woman in among them and proceeds to go, hey, this is someone who was caught in the act of sinning, of the sin of adultery. The law says that we are to stone her. What do you say? And we saw how clearly that Jesus dealt with it. Um, And I talked to you last night about the fact that, you know, he was in kind of a pickle um, because we were looking at the fact that if he says, go ahead and stone her, not only one, does he lose his reputation for being loving and gracious and merciful um, that the people see him as, and he's shown to them. I mean, he's truly lived that. But he also turns around and and it's just as possible or probable that these Pharisees and scribes would run to the Romans and go, this guy incited us, incited murder, which they're not supposed to do. They're, they're not allowed to do that, even in carrying out justice, because the Romans don't allow them that power, which is why we notice at Christ's crucifixion, as much as they want him killed, they have to go to the Roman governor to have him killed. Because only the Roman governor can authorize that. So he's having to avoid that, but he's also having to avoid, um, you know, um, ignoring the sin and thus bearing the lie to everything he said that he didn't come to throw out the law, but to confirm the law, but to support the law. Well, the Mosaic law says that she should be stoned. But again, the law has never brought was never meant to bring out sal- bring bring about salvation. Jesus Christ is, and He's there, and He proceeds to show His wisdom. Um, and like I said last night, you know, He says, "Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her." And then He just stoops down and starts writing on the ground again. And I and I pointed out last evening this reminds me this kind of statement and the wisdom of this kind of statement in this setting they think they've got him between a rock and a hard place but he makes this statement and this reminds me like i said um of jesus when they came to him and said you know are should we pay taxes to caesar and they're trying to get him to say no don't pay it because you know this money should be a tithe for for the church and whatever You know, so they're expecting to catch him there, except he goes, well, show me the coin. Whose picture is this? Well, that's Caesar. And he said, well, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God's. So he makes clear, yeah, we should still tithe, but we should also be obedient to our government. He doesn't get caught in that. They can't turn around and go, see, and and they even try. I mean, in what we read in Luke today, they're trying to say, see, he tried to encourage people not to pay pay their taxes. No, he didn't. Not once. That was a lie. Flat out lie. Um, again, it reminded me of the wisdom of Saul or I'm sorry, the wisdom of Solomon when the two women came up say one saying, this is my baby. And the other saying, no, this is my baby. And Solomon says, all right, bring me a sword. All right, cut the baby in half, give half to this mother, half to this woman and half to this woman. And the one, one woman goes, no, 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 no. Let him, let her have him. Please don't kill the baby. And he goes, okay, you're the real mother here. I'm going to give the baby to you. What great wisdom. Well, that's what Jesus shows. He answers with exactly the right answer. 
to deal with this situation. How amazing that is. What amazing wisdom. So we've seen his humility. We've seen his wisdom. So what we're going to see this evening is his indictment of them and then the forgiveness he offers. Now, again, his indictment, usually you'd think his indictment, okay, he must go on and say something. Well, he doesn't. His indictment we see in verse 9. But he doesn't say anything there. And so what he says is back in verse 7, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. What we see in verse 9 is the effects of that indictment. So let me, let me actually read the verses we're going to deal with. We're going to deal with verses 9, 10, 11. So the finish of this story. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go and from now on, sin no more. So again, like I said, the indictment here, what we're seeing is the effects of that. What he has said takes effect here. So in verse nine, when they heard it, they began, began to go out one by one. So not a one of them was willing to pick up a stone. Not a one of them was willing to confront what he had said to try to proclaim that they were without sin. The fact is they probably all knew each other pretty well and they all knew each other well enough to know what kind of sins each one of them practiced to know each other's sins. And note that again, and and the commentaries are read note, it goes on saying beginning with the older ones. Yeah, well, think about it. In <laughs> um, one of the commentaries I, I saw, you know, they said, well, yeah, the older ones probably had more sins to be confronted with and to realize that they were not without sin. Therefore, it, it was not appropriate for them to judge her, you know, and, and so it's, yeah, it's that indictment. He's, he's called them out. You're acting like you, you are the purity police here, but the fact is you're not pure yourself. You're not sinless yourself, so how dare you call out sin on this woman? And again, and I like I pointed out before, notice we, we haven't seen the man she committed it with. Notice how conveniently he's not there. So it makes you wonder, did they know him? Was he one of their friends? Are they trying to get him out of it? Are they being sinful in their handling of this? Which they are, definitely, whether they've asked the right questions or not. Um, you know, it's, this is not a godly zeal. This is a, Hey, we want to trap you kind of thing that they're dealing with. But so they go out and he was left alone and the woman standing where she was in the center of the court. So now we see Jesus forgiveness take, take root here. So he stands back up from drawing in the stand. Now, again, Notice he makes that one statement, then he doesn't say anything else to them. He lets their own consciences drive them out of the square and away from her. Drive them out of the temple grounds and away from her. So Jesus straightens up and he says to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Now, again, I want to point out like I did when we were doing John chapter 2. And you'll actually see this again in John chapter 20, I think, as well. When Jesus says woman here, this isn't like you or I in our day going woman. 
to somebody being kind of a pejorative, um, not, not necessarily an insult, but trying to jerk somebody up by get their attention. This, that's not what he did. I mean, he said it to his own mother back in John two woman. It's not yet my time. What do you want from me? It's not yet my time kind of thing. That was actually a, a mode of address that was meant to be respectful. So he's actually being respectful of her. He's not sitting there and going, I, he doesn't turn around and go whore, you know, or harlot. I, I mean, they, they would be accurate forms of address. They'd be mean, but they'd be accurate. But he uses a respectful, a respectful address woman. Where are they? Again, he's trying to point out here. Um, and we don't, we don't really know by this point if the, the rest of the students that were around him being taught, if they're still in place or if they've wandered off by now, fed up with the Pharisees and all that, we just don't know. And, and honestly, it's not germane to the story. If it was, we would know, and it would be written here, but he goes, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Now, of course, this is a rhetorical question, but he's trying to make a clear point as much as they brought you in here and made a big to do about this. Not a one of them was willing to stand here and was pure enough, was without sin enough to be able to throw the first stone at her. They couldn't even confront this harlot, this, this adulterous woman, and be pure enough to confront her and pass judgment. That's what Jesus is showing right here. But he's also calling her mind to it. Did no one condemn you? Again, he's reminding her of why she's there. And she responds, no one, Lord. And Jesus goes, all right, I do not condemn you either. So again, he goes, I do not condemn you there. He's not there as judge. Yes, he'll come back in Revelation. We see he comes back and he judges, but he's not there to judge right now. He's there to bring salvation and he's bringing it for her. And we've, we've seen him show that he has authority to forgive sins. So I do not condemn you either, but then he gives a command. He makes clear a very, very strong statement. Go and from now on sin no more. He's not given her a blanket. Okay. You're not condemned. I'm not going to condemn you either, but go on and do whatever you want to. It's kind of um, one of the common commentaries I ran across, you know, it's like, um, when Paul says, so what? Are we to go continue sinning so that grace would abound more? You know, no, that this is kind of the same thing, you know, that people want to look at. No, he's not saying for her to go back out and be this adulterous woman or, or whatever other sins she might have. He's being clear. And from now on, so the past is in the past and I forgive you. I do not condemn you. But from now on, sin no more. Change your life. Be holy, be righteous. That's what he's telling her. So he shows his indictment manifests and that not a one of them could stay and pass judgment on her. But then he shows his forgiveness, you know, and, and that's the thing. They walked away. Now they had heard what he said. 
And again, it was it was almost a giving of the gospel here. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Basically, repent. Repent and turn from your sins is basically what's being said here. So obviously these men, these Pharisees and scribes, were moved enough that they didn't pass judgment and they left. But the sad fact is we've got no indication that not a, that, that any one of them ever came to a saving faith in Christ. And how sad that is that Jesus was there teaching. And instead of sitting and listening to his teaching and being edified and equipped and shaped, they wandered off probably to, to perpetrate, to perpetrate mayhem somewhere else and to somebody else or even back with him. So how sad that is. But again, we see here how Jesus confronts hypocrisy. He doesn't get mad. He, he doesn't get all, bow all up and get all up and folks grill and, you know, that kind of thing. He's very calm. He's very sedate. And he gives the one perfect answer, such wisdom, that one perfect answer that makes those that brought her, brought the adulterous woman, just go back on their heels and then to, in honesty, turn and walk away because they were not without sin and thus they were not qualified to throw stones at her. Nor are we necessarily, yeah, we're to be fruit inspectors out there and all that. But you know what? You and I have got enough sin to deal with in our own lives and enough every day to bring back to the cross and lay at the foot and mortify it and leave it there that I really don't have time. Uh, not, not if I'm going to be truly obedient and truly persevere in my Christian walk to run around worrying about everybody else's sin. Um, Yes, I'm to be a fruit inspector. And yes, I'm trying to try to hold my brothers and sisters in Christ accountable as I want them to hold me. But I don't have time to run around and be a hypocrite being sinning myself and throwing other people's sin under the bus. That That's that's not the answer. But again, the, the key here is how Jesus handles this Again, what humility, what what wisdom, and what forgiveness that he manifests here. All right. Well, that's our Bible study for the day. Like I said, we will be continuing on at, tomorrow night, God willing, in John chapter 8, verse 12. And we see here, here is a, another of the great I am statements by Jesus um, here in verse 12. I am the light of the world. So we'll go into this whole I am the light of the world uh, discourse. Um, so let's go ahead and close out. I, again, I hope you have a great evening and a good night's sleep, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. Uh, we're going to do the fourth day evening prayer. God all sufficient. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine in its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee.
How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace! How excellent thy loving kind sorry, thy loving kindness that draws men to thee. Teach us to teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, never seeking life among the dead things of earth, or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity thou hast provided us a Savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions. Have mercy on us. We are weary. Give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weaknesses. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. Well, again, I hope you have a great night, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good one. God bless. Thank you.